The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the monthly Guest Dharma series. Welcome again, everybody. Thanks for coming tonight. And we're really happy to have Steve Armstrong back. Uh, many of you know Steve uh, through the TCBC, the Twin Cities Vipassana Collective Retreats that have been offered since 1994 by Steve and Kamala, the summer retreat, one of the real practice um, foundations for our community. Many of us have trained with Steve and Kamala over the years. But Steve has also come out, now this is the second time, to do additional teaching. So we'll be teaching tonight and doing a day long tomorrow. And Steve is one of the early uh, practitioners of Theravada Buddhism here in the West. He was one of the early participants in the retreats that Jack Kornfield and Joseph Goldstein and Sharon Salzberg started in the early 70s. Became staff at IMS, Intent Meditation Society of Massachusetts, very early on after it was founded, I think in 1975, and eventually was chair of the board or on the board of directors. And then after about 10 years of practice, went to Burma and practiced with one of the best-known Buddhist meditation masters, Saida Upandita, for five years as a monk. Came back and started leading retreats. Uh, in 1990, after those five years of training, and including the three annual three-month retreat, which Stephen Kamala taught for many years at IMS. And we've been fortunate to have them come out, as I've mentioned, uh, I think every year since 94, so it's been quite a run. Hopefully it will continue. <laughs> and tonight, Steve's talk is Inner Stability in an Unstable World. I'll mention a little bit more about what Stephen Kamala are doing on Maui at the end of the talk. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for the invitation. So um, it was several months ago that uh, Mark, uh, I accepted Mark's invitation to come here and to teach and offer something. And he asked me then uh, what I would speak about. Of course, no one ever knows what they're going to be speaking about six months later. But speaking about Inner stability in an unstable world seemed a pretty safe topic. But little did I know how unstable the world was going to look. I mean, I knew it was going to be unstable. I just didn't realize the Middle East was going to go up and the tsunami was going to go down. And the But that's the way it is, isn't it? I've been told that there's a Chinese curse although when I ask my Chinese friends about it, they don't know anything about it. A Chinese curse that goes, may you live in interesting times. And you might ask, well, why is that a curse? Well, I, I think we're living in pretty interesting times right now, actually. And if we take a look at what's going on in the world, our world, we see uh, that the forces that have been unleashed in human society and in the Mother Earth are pretty dramatic. There is, of course, the environmental uh, degradation and uh, a great unknown of what we're going to be living with for the next rest of our life. 
there's the political upheaval in the Middle East, which is not only affecting people in the Middle East, but it's going to have a tremendous impact on our lives for the rest of our lives. There's the recent tsunami in Japan, which didn't occur just in Japan, but is also affecting everyone on the face of the earth in some profound and not so subtle ways. And when these kind of forces are at play in the world, we are pulled and pushed and jerked around and buffeted by them, and there's not much we can do about that. We just have to kind of go with it. We have to bear with it. We have to kind of accommodate these forces that, well, are outside of our immediate control. Imagine if you were living in Japan five weeks ago, six weeks ago, on the northeast shore there. And I'm sure some of you have seen the, the videos of what actually happened. And your life was going along pretty, pretty comfortable. And you had your home, and you had your career, and you had your family, and you had your social life, and you had your political economic base and you were living much like you're living here now in Minneapolis and then the world turns and the tsunami washes through your life and scrubs it clean of all your support systems your career your home your car probably a lot of relationships because people disappear and, well, what can you do about that? The amount of money you have in the bank doesn't do much for you. Your friends, if they're still living, are in the same boat you're in. Your career is on hold, unless you're a nuclear engineer. And then you're really on call. And your life is just kind of thrown into, well, turmoil and uh, insecurity and unpredictability. And uh, what could you have? What could you ask for? What would you want to most support you, to most help you navigate that situation? An air ticket the day before would have been good, but that's no longer an option. And when you try to think of what it would be, it's really difficult to come up with any tangible thing that is going to be a source of security, comfort, a sense of ease, a sense of well-being. Now think for a moment. In that situation, if you found yourself in that situation, who among your friends, among the people you know, or even people that you've heard of, historical beings even, who would you most want at your side to help you deal with the tsunami and its effects?
think of someone. Think of anyone. And then if you try to identify the qualities that that person possesses, what are they? Kindness. Coolness. Sense of ease. Creativity. Energy. Generosity. Understanding. Compassion. Uh, confidence. Loving kindness. Patience. These are the qualities of someone who would be most ready and able to respond to, well, really unpredictable and overwhelming conditions. But all of these qualities of heart or mind are within us all. We all recognize them. There's nothing particularly esoteric. There's nothing even very Buddhist or even spiritual about that. They are the qualities of good human beings everywhere. It is these qualities of mind when developed within our own heart that provide a sense of inner stability and a sense of ease and well-being in our life, even when conditions are overwhelming and unpredictable. <coughs> when our life really rests on the qualities of our heart, then the external conditions can change, as they will. And they can change dramatically, as they sometimes will. And yet, our sense of well-being, our sense of stability, and security and uh, confidence in facing contemporary conditions is unshaken. And it's because of the quality of our heart, the quality of our mind. We could say that the development of these qualities are the contingency plans for the inevitable trouble ahead. We each have a tsunami headed towards us. We don't see it yet. We don't know when it's going to arrive. We don't know what form it's going to take, but it's going to upend our life as we know it. It's going to throw us for a loop. It may be a financial tsunami. It may be an emotional tsunami. It may be uh, a career tsunami. Maybe a relationship tsunami, maybe a physical health tsunami, and nothing we can do to stop it. All we can do is develop the resources within ourselves to navigate it, to, to learn how to survive and to survive quite well, actually, uh, the inevitable challenges that are going to come in our life. To think that we're somehow going to uh, construct 
a safe and secure place in our home, in our career, in our relationships, in our bank account is utter folly. Because all of those can be taken away from us in a flash. And it's just being naive if we think that we're going to somehow escape it. And so the challenge for us is to uh, kind of cop to the way things are, to really look at the truth of our lives and just how fragile and how unstable and insecure conditions are and not to rely on the stability of conditions for the stability of our life, but really to look within our own mind to develop those qualities and the capacity to uh, acknowledge the truth, the way things really are for us, and to not be afraid, and to not be hysterical, to not kind of feel victimized, and to not feel entitled to anything different, but to actually receive whatever the present moment has to offer and to thrive as a human being with those conditions no matter what they are. That's our challenge. That's what this practice that we just uh, did for a half hour actually does. It quietly and in a very even unnoticed way it strengthens the qualities of mind that we need in order to live from a sense of enduring well-being. Because even as you sit for a half hour, what happens? Well, you know, the body gets painful, the mind gets restless, you get bored, you get upset, you get judgmental, you fall asleep, you know, but can you do anything about it? Well, all you can do is notice it and try again. And gradually, slowly, slowly, bit by bit, we strengthen the mind. We strengthen our ability to see the way things really are in this moment. We strengthen our ability to be a little more patient, to be a little less judgmental, to be a little more acceptant, a little more tolerant, to be, have, to, to be willing to face, to have the energy or the courage to kind of look again. And gradually, all these qualities of mind are strengthened. And in time, they will be a resource for helping us to navigate the conditions of life in a creative and uh, uh, enjoyable way. We can't control all of the conditions that we're going to meet in our life. We try. We try to control as much as we can, you know, with our relationships and our careers and our finances, but as we can see, all of that can be taken away just like that. If your happiness and your sense of security and stability in your life is dependent on external conditions over which you have no control, you're not very secure, you're not very stable, you're not very safe, and inevitably I'm not the bearer. I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news. I'm, I, I mean to bear, to bring the, the reality into view, to kind of come out from under our naivete, our 
fantasies, our delusions, our illusions, our hopes, our wishes, and actually ground our uh, heart and mind in uh, honest appraisal of the way things are. Because we're in touch with it. Because awareness reveals it to us. attention to our life as we were training our mind to do we begin to see things that we have lived with all our life but not recognized a couple of years ago I noticed when I went to uh, Portland Oregon and I go to Portland Oregon quite often I noticed there's an awful lot of street people there's an awful lot of panhandlers there's an awful lot of homeless people living on the streets of Portland. And every time I'd walk down the street, I'd see them. And they're sprawled out here, and they're standing there, and they got their signs, they got their whatever they got. And I noticed in my own mind a kind of a discomfort. Sometimes I was afraid. Sometimes I was just kind of offended. Often I just wanted to cross the street and walk on the other side of the street, but there were people over there too. And so I, I saw the judgments in my mind that was kind of blaming them or criticizing their lifestyle. And I felt afraid of what they were asking me. So I said, I can't fix all these homeless people. I can't provide them all jobs or homes or anything else. This suffering in my mind, fear, anxiety, judgment, uh, discomfort, that's suffering, you know, is my problem. That's my issue. That's something i got to deal with. So I decided to stop pretending otherwise, stop being naive, and just take a good look at what's going on there. And I would then decided that I was going to make dealing with the homeless people and the beggars my practice. So I'd walk down the street, and when I see him, I go right up to him and ask him, how's it going today? Catch their eye. Really grab their attention with the mind. And let them know that I was concerned about them today. And I got some really interesting answers. Just a couple weekends ago, I was in Portland in pouring rain, walking down the street. Somebody's out there with their sign. So I said, out in the pouring rain. So I said, how's it going today? He says, it's going a little slow. <laughs> I don't know what that means to homeless person, but so well, it's good, I guess, or is that bad? I don't know. But anyway, offered him a couple dollars. And even in the midst of that, minor, human connection there was a communication there was a letting go of fear letting go of anxiety letting go of judgment and a willingness to connect with someone as another human being without judgment and without trying to solve their problems without trying to fix it but just an acknowledgement I see you 
care about you. Here's some support for your life. He or she or they feel momentarily relieved or happy or they receive something. And I too am relieved of my fear, my anxiety, my judgment. And I walk away from that encounter feeling good and happy. And so do they. That option is available to us every day, as many times as you want it, to feel good about yourself. But we have to take advantage of the opportunity. We have to see it as an opportunity to strengthen our own sense of well-being. And we do that by practicing loving-kindness, practicing fearlessness, practicing generosity. And it doesn't even cost that much. You don't have to pay, you know, $45 to go to a day long or anything. You can just go down the street and give them two. And you feel good already. And every time you think of it, you feel good again. Think about that. But that's the basis of developing and supporting a sense of worthfulness in yourself, a sense of purpose in your life, a sense of value to others in your life, and a sense of well-being. Through simply stop being naive and act on what you actually see, act what you're actually aware of. And anybody can do it, because we have this potential to be generous, to be loving, to be kind, to be understanding, to be fearless within us. And we all have this potential. But, as we know, we don't take every opportunity to be generous, to be kind, to be patient, to be loving. Do we? Or at least I don't. I'm not the only one, am I? <laughs> These qualities are reside in our own heart, in our own mind, as a potential, and we know that. And yet, we often don't take advantage of the opportunities we have to develop them. Out of fear, out of feeling that we're too busy, uh, feeling that it's an insignificant gesture, out of shame, maybe, out of not wanting to feel uncomfortable. Sometimes we feel like to even open up to another person that we don't know, that we don't understand, we don't recognize, we don't know where they're coming from, is going to have somehow threaten our own sense of ourselves. Thankfully, it does. Because it's our sense of self that is fearful, or when we feel anxious, or judgmental, or uh, inadequate, or disempowered, or victimized, or entitled. That sense of self is really a self that suffers, that is really not yet happy, not yet content, 
not able to live with the way things are in this world. And somehow, when we're not yet content, when we're not yet at ease with our life, with ourself, with what we have, with what we don't have, we always want more. Now, I know most of you are old enough to have imagined what you need in your life to be happy. Good job, good relationship, good car, good bank account, whatever it is, and have pursued those things in your life. That's what we do in our life. We think of what will make us happy and then we go get it, or try to. And you have accomplished and achieved and acquired much of what you wanted. Are you done yet? Have you got enough yet? Do you have enough stuff? Do you have enough money? Do you have enough cars? Do you have enough relationships? How many people you got on your Facebook page? How many more do you need? What do they call it? Friends. Friends on Facebook or whatever. You can tell I don't have one. I don't have any friends. <laughs> or at least, I'm not anybody's friend on Facebook. I guess that's the right way. But if we never ask ourselves what is enough, we'll never have enough. One of our students, a few years ago, she's a consultant to uh, corporations and organizations. And she started taking the question to them, what is enough? Getting corporations to ask themselves, what is enough? Well, I think it's important that each one of us individually ask ourselves, what is enough? Because, let's face it, we've got enough. But we haven't recognized it yet. That we're not paying attention, or we may not be paying attention to what is enough. But just by asking the question, it changes our whole relationship to everything we think we need or want. And it also changes our relationship to all those things in the attic and the cellar. Because we look at them a little differently and we say, God, I got all these things. Yeah, I wanted them at one time. I spent days, months, weeks, years, whatever, acquiring the means to get them. And now, they're downstairs in the cellar. Not doing me any good. Not doing me any harm either. We think. But let me suggest that what you still have that you no longer need is a drag on your mind. If the mind is still holding on to things, relationships, stuff, beliefs, habits, behaviors that no longer serve your highest aspiration, no wonder you don't have the energy to fulfill it. Because we're still stuck. We're still caught. We're still entangled in beliefs that don't support our spiritual aspiration. We're still engaged in, you know, addictive, habitual, or obsessive behaviors, which are for sure not supporting our spiritual aspiration. And our spiritual aspiration doesn't have to be Buddhist. doesn't even have to be spiritual. You want to be happy? That's, that's a pretty good aspiration. And yet, when we hang on and we're still entangled in unskillful, unhelpful stuff, and beliefs 
and behaviors from our past. They suck the energy out of our present moment life. We're tired. We don't have the energy. We don't have the courage. We don't have the creativity to deal with the way things really are because we're still stuck. We're still entangled in other stuff. And so it's really hard if you're not entangled in the present and you're entangled in the past. It's really hard to feel a sense of well-being. Not possible. Not possible. If you're not in touch with the present moment, and it takes all our energy to stay in touch with the present moment. You see how hard it is, even in the half-hour sitting that we just did, how hard it is to have the energy to stay awake even for 30 minutes. Hard, isn't it? How old are you? And how many years have you got to go? We think we got a lot of years left. I was just staying in Rochester last night with a, a friend, a student, and his uh, girlfriend, uh, 49 years old, woke up uh, Sunday night, 3 o'clock, paralyzed, left side. 46, uh, 49. No warning, no prior warning of anything. Woke up paralyzed, left side, couldn't speak. And her phone, her cell phone, was over there. So she had to figure out a way to, and she knew what was going on. She was having a stroke. I'm sure she knew. She had to get over there and get the phone. But she couldn't, you know, the left side didn't work. No hand, no arm, no legs. Couldn't make it work. But she crawled over there, got the phone, 911, couldn't talk. You know, gobbled speech. They didn't know what was she was saying. Now, that's a tsunami. Can you imagine? You wake up 3 o'clock, nobody else at home, and there's the phone over there, and you know you're having a stroke. What's you going to do? And there isn't any one of us in this room that knows for sure that isn't going to happen to us tonight. Right? We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Could happen. Happened to her. Could happen to any one of us. Are we going to have the stability of mind to respond with creativity, energy, understanding, patience in that situation? Are we going to get hysterical? Are you going to get afraid? Are you going to kind of feel alone, isolated, fearful? So this need for the stability of mind and the development of these qualities of mind is universal. And it's only uh, when we can really see for ourselves the situation we're in that we really will make the development of these personal qualities of mind where we will make them a priority in our life. Because we know that the potential is there. And we know we value them in others. And we pay lip service to, it would be nice to be more patient and more loving and kind and generous and compassionate. And yet if we don't make the choice to develop them while we have the opportunity, what's that called? 
But when we choose to develop these uh, qualities of mind, to live with integrity and to live with the truth of our experience and to be patient and to be uh, not shrill and partisan and reactive but really responsive and understanding, we will choose in many situations to go against the prevailing tide of our culture. Are you ready for that? You ready for that? So, you know, one of the qualities that we really admire in other people and that is really extraordinary value for ourselves and those that we work with is honesty. So I'll ask you a question. Have you made a commitment to yourself in your life to always speak the truth? I won't ask you to show your hands because the next question is, if you haven't, are you a liar? I won't ask for a show of hands on that one either. But if we haven't made a commitment to always tell the truth, it's very difficult to acknowledge that we're a liar. So what are we? Truthful when it's convenient? Well, that's the social, political standard of our culture. We live in a culture that condones, rewards, and expects deception. And we see it around us all the time. It's not only in advertising, it's in Wall Street, it's in uh, Washington, D.C., it's in Hollywood, it's in our homes. We tolerate it. We expect it. It allows us to be cynical. But most of us don't see that cynical or cynicism is suffering. When we have a relationship of cynicism to our politicians, our leaders, that's a suffering state of mind. So to take on these qualities of higher mind that will really allow you to have a sense of well-being no matter what happens is going to bring you face to face with your cultural conditioning and the conditioning of your family and your neighborhood and your community and your workmates and then you have a choice all the time to really act on what you value and know about yourself or not. Ouch. That's really hard. It takes a tremendous amount of energy to be willing to take courage. It takes a tremendous amount of courage, energy of the heart, to be willing to face that decision honestly every time. But you know what? If you decide in your life that an enduring sense of well-being and a sense of stability and thriving as a human being is important to you, if you think it really is important and you aspire to that and you really want to work in your life 
to make the most of your human life. No one can stop you. No one. Who can stop you from being more patient? Who can stop you from being more generous? Who can stop you from being more loving? Or more understanding? Or more truthful? Nobody. So there's nobody to blame. We only have to look within ourselves to see that the potential is there. We value it. We can make a choice to act on it. And when we do, we'll get the reward. We will see. And it, does, it isn't far away. When you live with intentional integrity on a moment-to-moment basis, you will, you will know it. It's not to become recognized or well-known or dramatic. You, know, you, know, you can do it, as, as my teacher now says, um, secret mission. Huh? I call it the anonymous arhat. You, know, you don't have to tell anybody that you're being patient or that you're being honest. <laughs> you don't have to tell them. Just do it. Uh, they'll never know. And you can become fully liberated anonymously. (laughs) And of course, anonymous and fully liberated is uh, a very compassionate thing to do for yourself and for others. Because those who are really fully engaged and thriving in their life as a human being are a great benefactor to everyone they share life with rather than a burden. And we have a choice. We can make that choice dozens of times a day. And, to be quite honest, we won't make it the same way consistently. We're going to choose to be impatient. We're going to choose to be insist on being right rather than free. We're going to choose to be angry and irritated sometimes. But when you see that, and you know that that's the source of disempowerment, that's when you really start to feel weak. You start to feel like others have advantage over you. Then, eventually you'll stop doing that. But sometimes it's really hard to live with integrity, to fulfill our own aspiration. Really difficult. And we can't blame anybody. It's just, we feel our energy collapses. We're going to talk about this tomorrow. You know how you're going along, you're dealing with someone or situation or something at work or somebody, and you're going along, you're going along, and then this is a, this is a visual instruction here. Yeah, going along, and then all of a sudden you go, you see that? You're going along, you're going along, you're going along, and then you go, what happens? We give up. Energy collapses and our whole willingness to engage the world, willingness to engage and be in touch with the present moment collapses. And from that position you can't do anything. If you can't stay in touch with the present moment with 
really being there. Really being receiving it and being willing to feel it, engage it, to know it, to respond rather than react. Then, if we're not doing that, we're doing that. Energy is really uh, vital. But it's not the energy of that kind of energy. You know, it's not the take over control. It's not that. It's just the willingness to meet the moment. Are we willing to meet the moment, this moment of our life? After all, it will never come by again. We never get a chance to live a past moment a second time. Once that moment's gone, time is run out. Every moment, time is running out. of uh, Buddha Dharma coming to the West is that the form of our access to the teachings of the Buddha is often through meditation or some form of technique. Whether it's sitting this way with your eyes closed, paying attention to the breath, or it's doing some mantra or some visualization, or some, whatever it is you do. And then we get kind of identified with doing that. But ultimately, these following these techniques can bring a real strength of mind, can bring you to a real steadiness of mind. And, and then all the spiritual goodies that come after that. Calm, content, excitement, bliss, ecstasy, equanimity, clarity, wisdom, confidence, you know, all those things, they come. If you practice, you practice your, your whatever it is you've been taught, you'll, they'll come. Spiritual goodies come. You, you can't, you're not, you're not immune to them. But that's not the goal. That's not the goal. You know, we look for it. We hope for it. We enjoy it when it comes. But don't get caught there. That's not what it's all about. Because none of us want to live the lifestyle of silent, sitting, slow, not talking, walking like a zombie. We want to live our life, right? You know, it's like, you know, you want to walk down the street. You want to talk to people. You want to have your job and your family and whatever it is. But to do that with awareness, to do that with all the benefits of the silent technique practice that you've done. Yeah. It's possible. If you practice it, it'll happen. As one yogi said, I want a life of awareness. I don't want the lifestyle of retreat. Wouldn't, Wouldn't that be nice? I want the benefit of a retreat in my ordinary lifestyle. Is it possible? Only you can find out. Only you know. Okay. I can't tell you. 
I can tell you. But that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. I can tell you anything, but until you know for yourself, no wisdom. So that's all I have to say. May you live in interesting times <laughs> with awareness so that you have an enduring sense of well-being and that uh, you can thrive as a human being to be the best, to be the most, to really optimize what it means to be a human being. Now I'm open to uh, questions or challenges to anything I said or comments. And as you know, if you don't have questions for me, I have questions for you. <laughs> ah, hi. Hi. Um, I don't think it was a curse. I think that was called the Chinese blessing. Is it what? This is a challenge. I think it was called the Chinese blessing. Chinese blessing? Yeah. You know, there's another teaching on blessings and curses. Don Juan, that famous spiritual teacher of the 20th century who taught Carlos Castaneda, he says, the ordinary man or woman sees all of life's events as either a blessing or a curse. But those who are on the path of awakening see them as opportunities. Whether it's a blessing or a curse, say it. But if you see it as an opportunity to really be alive, to be here for it, to develop these qualities of mind, okay. Next time I tell the story, I'll say, oh, there's an old Chinese blessing. <laughs> What's the difference? <laughs> blessing and curse, same. Yeah. Any other question? Yeah. You, um, right at the end, you said that the form in which Buddhism is yeah. the world. Yeah. Like there's a positive and negative side to it. Yeah. Oh, I didn't quite get what the negative side was. Oh, we get taught techniques. We get taught, uh, you know, in the form of retreats or silent sitting meditation. And while it's powerful and it brings good results to us, we see, we often get stuck there. We often get attached to the form as the goal. And in fact, that's not the goal at all. No. The goal is live your life with awareness. Become fully human, really. But because of our, you know, attachment, really, to the way we learn the form, then sometimes we get stuck. We get limited by that. But if you never take up a form in practice, you'll never get the benefit of it either. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, um, this may seem like a really simple question, but um, I'd like to hear what you have to say. Let's say you catch yourself not being truthful. And catch you, yourself not being truthful. And you realize it, and what you do with it after you realize it. Okay, so you catch yourself not being truthful. Actually, did you notice the intention not to be truthful? Or did you just catch yourself after the fact? Um, both. <laughs> <laughs> that was too hard to think about. <laughs> uh, that, 
that, that's right. I mean, that, that is, that, that's the way it usually is. We often choose, you know, should I, shouldn't I, should I? I'm going to go anyway. Tell us it. Oh, no, yeah. I, it would be catching it afterwards. Oh, you find it afterwards. You didn't know that you had a choice. You just kind of told a lie, and then you then you said, oh, that wasn't right. Huh? If, that, if that's the way it occurred, then you could always go back and say, and correct your misimpression. Huh? Oh, I'm sorry, I misspoke. You know? Mm-hmm. Somebody asked me the other day about how much TV I watch. <laughs> I said, I never watch TV. I never watch TV. And then time went on and I said, I thought, yes I do. I watch the news in the hotel rooms. You know, because I don't have a TV. But I watch, when I go to the hotel rooms, I, I watch CNN for the first 20 minutes to see what's going on. So then I had to go back and correct that misimpression. So it's, it's good, if you can, to, to correct. But I didn't go back and correct. If you can, if you can, yeah, to, to go back and correct. On the other hand, if you considered before, should I tell a fib or not, and you decide not, and you decide to tell a fib, then you got a challenge, right? And you feel guilty, right? You feel guilty. You think, I am guilty of telling a lie. And that sense of I is going to kind of hang around for a while. Yeah. Yeah, suffering, isn't it? Mm-hmm. How are you going to deal with that suffering? That's what I'm asking you. <laughs> awareness because the you that told the lie stopped right there stop right there the next moment is not you not the you that told the lie so if you see that and you come to the present moment and you say oh I'm remembering remembering is happening uh, you know, that the conditions a moment ago or a day ago or a year ago were such that I told a lie, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you can have compassion for yourself for being, well, uh, ignorant, uh, fearful of telling the truth. Uh, and, and now you have regret or remorse. Maybe you, have, maybe you feel like, God, I wish I didn't do that or I wish I hadn't done that. can't do anything about it. And then you can look at the consequences. Maybe the other person didn't believe you anyway. No suffering. But they just have a judgment of you as being a dishonest person. How can you correct that? You have to live with that. You have to live with that feeling of the other person doesn't trust you anymore. But telling a lie, you don't don't get away with it. You know, you know it. You You always know. There's always someone. There's always one person that knows it's a lie. Yeah. In time, you can kind of uh, see it, feel it, feel the, the pain of telling a lie, and have remorse for that. Promise yourself not to do it again. And in, in time, you can strengthen your commitment to the truth. But every time that you tell a lie, it just kind of niggles, chips away, chips away at your sense of integrity, your commitment to integrity. If you see that, if you see it that way, you 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 improve because it's too painful to stay aware, which is why we fall asleep. It's too painful to stay awake. Right? It's really painful when you stay awake and you really pay attention to your life and what your mind is doing. You see some pretty shameful, some pretty humiliating, pretty uh, pretty remorseful stuff in there. If you get really identified with it, oh, you really suffer. So you have to be really 
seem how fleeting it all is, even the sense of guilt. Very fleeting. Was that a satisfactory answer? Yeah, thank you. Not easy. There's no easy answer. But there's no difficult questions either. Yeah. Hi, Can you hear me out here? Uh, yep. Okay. Um, so I try practicing 20 hours a day. Was that for their whole life, Say it again? Was that for their whole life? Or like for a monk for, for, life. for the whole life, as long as you're a monk. Oh. Yeah, or none. But you know what? We think we can't do it. We think we can't. And initially, it's very difficult. But if you make the effort, and it doesn't have to be <coughs> this kind of effort, you know, be anonymous in making your own. Just like, just be there. Just be willing to just meet the moment. You know, you don't have to be a kind of performer for other people. You don't have to display anything. You just have to be willing to meet it. And if you have to just bear with the way things are, with a lot of patience, you may you may think now, oh, what a pain. This is a, this is a bugger. I, I wish there was some relief, blah, blah, blah. But actually... The conditions you live with in that situation are strengthening your mind. You know, I know it sounds kind of funny to say you should be thankful for that opportunity. <laughs> I have it in a way, but sometimes I don't know if it's good for me or bad for me. It's good for you. <laughs> it's definitely good for you. Some of us don't have it as a kind of a built-in teacher. We have to go looking for somebody, you know, that, that's going to make us work hard. You know, you should, uh, I'm speaking to the rest of you, you should pray for a really demanding teacher. 
You're demanding teacher much. <laughs> Neither am I. I'm a whip. But nevertheless, you still should pray for a really demanding teacher because we have these self-imposed limits. We impose these limits on ourselves. I can't do it because, well, I can only sleep four hours a night. I can't do it because I'm tired. I can't do it because I'm too old. I can't do it because I'm stupid. I can't do it. I started too late. I didn't start meditating until I was 35. God, I should have started when I was 13. <laughs> I can't do it because... Don't believe anything your mind is telling you. <laughs> really. Your mind is telling you all kinds of fibs. Remember, you haven't made a commitment to always tell the truth. Right? So your mind is saying, yeah, yeah, right, you need more sleep, you need more sleep, you can't do this. <laughs> yes, you can. But you have to approach it with a willingness to be curious, to really look and see, how is it for me, really? Am I really tired? Do I have to go to bed now? Do I, do I have a little bit of energy? Can I, can, I, can I meet the next moment? Or am I just kind of, boom, out? We never know until we, until we challenge ourselves. Until we really come up to our own edge and not back off. And this doesn't mean macho energy. I gotta tell you this again and again. It means relax. Relax. Stop struggling. Relax. Let the present moment wash over you, wash right through you. And your awareness is still there. It doesn't get annihilated, it doesn't get blown away. We can bear with it, no problem. You know, we're going we're gonna to experience pain in life, right? We're going to experience physical pain, we're going to experience mental pain, we're going to experience loneliness, isolation, alienation. We're going to experience all kinds of pain in our life. There isn't anybody in this room that hasn't experienced a lot of pain already. And the road ahead looks just the same. <laughs> so, knowing that... What is the right attitude to take towards pain? Why fear it? It's coming anyway. Why try to avoid it? It can't be done. Why deny it? Why minimize it? Why kind of what, what is it called? Self-medicate. Why don't we just say, you know what? Pain comes, I'm willing to experience it. Well, because that, that would be a wise approach, wouldn't it? It's gonna happen. Why struggle? You know what? Pain is really not that bad. If you ask yourself the question, when you feel pain, just ask yourself, can I bear with this? You know, emotional pain, feeling lonely. I mean, lonely. You know how painful lonely is? It's really painful. It drives you crazy. It drives us to do all kinds of unskillful, distracting things. That's how painful it is. It's not like knee pain or the pain of disease. It's like heart pain. But ask yourself, can I bear with being lonely or being alone? And every time you ask yourself the question, no matter what it is you're asking about, almost every time you can. You can bear it if you choose to. It's just a matter of choice. But if you never ask yourself the question, you will think, you'll feel like, I can't bear it. I can't bear being patient anymore. I can't bear being alone, lone, lonely. I can't bear being frustrated. I can't bear being disappointed. I can't bear it. I can't bear it. Yes, you can. 
if you ask yourself if you can. You can. It's a choice you make. Was I answering a question? <laughs> I kind of lost it. I lost the thread. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about the difference between responsive and reactive? The difference between responsive and reactive. Well, I use those two words, and you've heard me use them tonight. The way I mean it is when we are not aware. We're not aware of the present moment. We're not aware of our own internal terrain, mental terrain, or the environmental terrain. We just don't know what's going on. Then when something happens, or as things happen, we just react out of deeply conditioned habits. And the deeply conditioned habits that we all have deeply embedded within us is to react to pleasantness with attachment and to react to unpleasantness with aversion. Those, those are default settings of that deeply conditioned mind. On the other hand, if we're practicing awareness and the present moment is emerging and you're practicing awareness with being with it and you see something that's pleasant come into the body, come into the mind, awareness will arrest the, react, the attachment reaction and give you the opportunity to respond to this situation with understanding, with patience, with non-attachment. So you, you respond out of awareness. Or if an unpleasant physical or mental, emotional event is happening, and you are aware of it, you're aware of the unpleasantness, you can see the impulse in the mind to be irritated, angry, blaming, judgmental, whatever. But because you have the awareness, you don't fall into the conditioned, habitual reaction. You have a choice how to respond out of wisdom and compassion for yourself and the other if it's a source if the other is a source of the, the unpleasantness so when i use reaction it's unaware deeply conditioned habits when i use responsive i'm pointing to awareness understanding and compassion so this is a question about um honesty and uh, appropriateness. So, for example, I have heard on several occasions um, people giving a, a spiritual talk, uh, making a point, and they're making the point of something it's a serious factual error. It's a what? Serious factual error. For example. So, spiritual teachers teaching factual errors. So, Got it. For example, the, the example that comes I to mind most often, I thought you were guilty of this, Steve. I don't know if I would have the courage to say this tonight. So actually, Paul, I don't think you've said this. But Everything I've ever said is recorded on Dharma Seed. You can go check it out. It's just, it's just full of inaccuracies. I, 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 I admit it. But the example, and this is often, especially among more very traditional teachers, is people will talk about the animal world in a way that is completely ignorant now. Um, about 25 years of really interesting research about animal empathy, about animals' ability to, I mean, even rats to go hungry so that getting the pellet doesn't cause another rat pain. Now, lots of studies about animals engaging in behavior on an evolutionary basis, which seems to be sort of more altruistic and compassionate. 
teachers will talk about. There are the humans, and then there are the animals that are just, um, you know, they just want to mate, they just want to eat there. And it's this really false and naive view of animals. And um, I always feel awkward and embarrassed, and um, and it's, so I think, well, is it honest to I don't even know how to say to people, you know, mm. you're just missing this huge body of incredibly interesting work that's so <laughs> encouraging because it means that, you know, mammals yeah. basically are sort of wired toward compassion yeah. and helping. And So the question is? How to be honest in it. I mean, is, is, is the honest thing to say something, to do something? I mean, it, it, it's just honesty, honesty, truthfulness are not synonymous. Okay. You can recognize the truth, but to go to what, because you're asking the question, what should I do about this? Mm -hmm. I hear of, uh, something that's wrong, and what do I do about this? Well, the Buddha had all kinds of suggestions and guidance for how to speak in a way so as not to cause harm mm -hmm. or disharmony, yeah? And, and one of them is to speak the truth, yeah? But the other corollaries are to speak the truth with a kind heart. Not out of aversion, not out of that kind of okay. Mm -hmm. To speak it gently in a way that the person can hear what it is you're actually saying, even if you're disagreeing with them. To speak the truth. To speak it only if it's beneficial. And the most difficult one is to speak it at the right time, at the, at the appropriate time. So if you hear this, and there's a teacher up there kind of full of themselves telling all kinds of fibs, or naive, you know, and you say, oh, hey, wait a minute, you know, then you should really look. When can you speak the truth to them with a kind heart so they can hear it at the appropriate time if it's beneficial to them? And then do that. How do we, how do we understand, how do we know if something is beneficial? I mean, even before you get to, is it timely? Would this... Would this person be offended? I mean, well, whether they're going to be offended or not, that's not one of the criteria. The criteria is, is it beneficial to them? Is it beneficial? Yeah. You know, one of my one of my students was, uh, uh, you know, he was in one of the, I think, community Dharma leader training, you know, so he was mm -hmm. a, a Dharma leader. And he was living in uh, New Mexico. And he was very active in the movement to stop capital punishment. And he was he was speaking all over the state trying to get capital punishment stopped in New Mexico because they still had, you know. And so he was asking for my advice. And I said, you know, it's easy to speak, it's easy to preach to the choir. What you need to do is learn how to speak to those who have different opinion than you. I said, the challenge for you is to speak your truth about the nature of capital punishment to those who support and favor it in such a way that they can hear you. They may not agree with you, but hear you. And that, that's our challenge, in, even in this situation. Because if you just kind of lay this heavy rap on them, it's like, hey, research says it's blah, 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 blah. They don't hear you. They hear the anger, they hear the stridency, they feel the, you know, the, the whatever. Not effective. So how to do that? That's, that's hard. Really hard. And 
the, the greatest challenge is maybe what you have to say, maybe there will never be an appropriate time to say it. Can you accept that? That's hard. Just like maybe it just doesn't need to be said, even though what they're saying is wrong. You know it. Other people may know it too. That's hard. Letting go of wanting to correct somebody. Man, I'm saying that for a self-preservation reason. <laughs> so I think we're getting close to last question, but yeah. I think uh, you know the question is about patience and nurturing, nourishing yourself, and what might do that. Uh, I think an honest appraisal of where we really are right now on the path is really important, because otherwise uh, we may uh, have expectations of ourselves for what we should be doing that are unrealistic, and then we defeat ourselves in our own efforts. So we want to be, we want to. We want to have an honest appraisal of what our strengths and our limitations are, and to just come to that, uh, not as not to give ourselves permission to not try, but to accept the limitations that we actually experience at this time, knowing that if we practice, those limitations change. Yeah. So, the way that we can have an accurate appraisal, self-appraisal of our strength and limitation is to be aware. Yeah, you can always practice compassion. You can always practice self, uh, self-acceptance or loving-kindness for yourself and compassion. But underneath all that, we need an honest and accurate appraisal. So being aware of one's strengths and limitations really important. Again, it's just awareness, basic awareness practice. Any more? You mean I've answered all your questions? You're all set for the rest of your life. You know, the Buddha said... Okay. One more. Maybe. We'll see. Self-pity and compassion. Wow, did you ask the right person for that? Let me me tell you about self-pity. So, I was uh, practicing in the monastery in Burma. And I'd been doing retreats in, the, in the, the West for about eight years, and then I went to Burma and ordained. And I was practicing, as I said, 20 hours a day, you know, sitting and walking and silent, blah, 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 blah. After a couple of years, I remember the exact place, the time of day, everything. I was walking on the backside of the, the kind of the hostel where I was staying. It's in a little alleyway. And I was walking in that direction toward the bathroom. And I was right beside room number seven or whatever it was. And I remember, I saw something in my mind that I'd never seen before. Imagine. You see something in your mind you've never seen before. And what I saw was self-pity. 
I saw this voice in my mind that said, it was something like this, oh, for me. I can't do this because, you know, I'm too old, I'm too stupid, I'm too whatever. Yeah? And every time, or when I saw that, I realized that that's when my energy collapsed. So pity, huh? And I said, I've never noticed that before. Because I always, I was, I was still young, I was only 37. I was still young and vigorous and full of myself and very confident and very energetic. And when I saw that for the first time, I realized I have been doing that my whole life. Kind of undermining myself with this self-pity rap. But I never saw it. Never saw it. I couldn't believe it. But once I saw it that clearly, I never missed it. Every time it would come up, I'd see, oh, there it is again. There it is again. You know, and, and I, in my God, it was, I've seen it a lot. Every day. Dozens of times. Just like, oh. <laughs> 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 you know, like that. That's self-pity. But, because I got so alerted to self-pity and what it did, it kind of unplugs your energy. It just goes, mm. that I really just made a point of just catching it every time. Now, never. And this is not a lie. This is an intentional statement. I mean, I, <laughs> but I have a lot of compassion for myself. Is that helpful? Well, I... No. <laughs> view of reality and the experiential absolute view of reality. Relatively speaking, I have a self. You have a self. My self is over here. Your self is over there. I have these thoughts and feelings and self-appraisal and you have those thoughts and feelings and self-appraisal and they don't merge. Right? I'm glad you're agreeing. Okay. <laughs> Relatively speaking, we have a self. When we have, when we practice compassion for ourselves, we're we're having compassion for this relative sense of ourselves. This this person that has relationships, moves around in the world, is a teacher, is a student, is employee, is a lover, is a partner, is a neighbor, is a mother, is a father, or whatever. That self is 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 a relative self, meaning it, we we agree, consensually speaking, we we agree that yeah, this is the way it is. But actually, you close your eyes. You sit still and you pay attention. You can't find yourself. There's sensations, there's thoughts, there's emotions, there's feelings, there's memories, there's plans, there's hopes, there's joys, sorrows, and it's just stuff that's just bubbling along. How are you going to have compassion for that? Compassion for a bubble of, of hardness, a, a feeling of you know happiness, a, a feeling of you know uh, happiness, joy. I mean, these are impersonal things that just kind of happen, right? If you pay attention, you'll see that the stuff that happens in the mind and body is just bubbling along due to causes and conditions outside of your personal control. Okay. 
What's the problem? You don't need to have compassion for that. It's kind of, it's kind of silly. I'm going to have compassion for my watch. <laughs> you know, this impersonal thing. This is obviously not me. Not, 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 nothing to do with me. But so too, the sensations that appear in this body, the thoughts that appear in the mind, and the emotions that appear in the heart. Equally as impersonal as this watch. When you really understand that, because you're practicing awareness, and you have an understanding of the way things are, then you don't need to have compassion for those impersonal things. But when you glue them all together and call it me, Steve, oh, then you need compassion. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. It's okay to have compassion. It's okay. We live in both. We live from both perspectives. From the relative, you know, you can't, you can't live without a relative reality, consensual reality. Here we are in a room, huh? you know. I'm going home with those people to their home and I'm not going to your home because that's the agreement that we have here. But experientially, when you feel that sensation with your thumb on the chin, that little, what is it? Maybe it's smooth for you, it's a little rough for me. But, uh, you know, is that personal? It's got nothing to do with you. It's just an impersonal sensation that's arisen due to causes and conditions that are outside of your control. Oh, okay. Like that. Here we are, moving along. Bedtime coming up. <laughs> yeah, we should probably end here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's over. How? As we say in Maui, it's how. Thank you, Steve, so much for being here. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.